13 and 1. Everybody, when you get there, say amen. amen. We'll go with that. Let brotherly love continue. Let's start right there. Let brotherly love continue. After this, these 12 previous chapters talking about faith, talking about hope, talking about Jesus, and talking about how we relate to God and how he's faithful to us and how we should be faithful to him and how we should worship and how we should praise. And he starts the final chapter with, let brotherly love continue. So saying that sounds like brotherly love already exists. So it's something that should continue. Brotherly love, you know, means Philadelphia, like the city. Phileo is, is the brotherly part, and, and Delphia is, or Phil is the love, brotherly love, and Delphia is the city. But this is talking about the love we have to one another, because when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family of God, and therefore we are now kinfolk. We're also kinfolk, you know, genetically, because we go all the way back to Adam. And after Adam, Noah, because he kind of cleaned house there a little bit during the flood. You can read it in the book. Let brotherly love continue. So what does that mean for us at South Point Church today? Uh, this is by far the most welcoming, loving church I've ever been a part of. From the time that Kim and I first came in here, there was somebody at this door saying, Hi, glad you're here. Somebody at that door saying, Hi, glad you're here. When Josh said, How y'all doing? Go give a toe tap or an elbow bump. That was back during COVID. You know, and... And people were crossing this whole room saying, hi, how are you? Are you new here? It's good to see you. And I hope you come back. Hope you like it. And, lo and a lot of us stayed. And then, like any church, like anybody made up of human beings, we ran into a season of, uh, of somebody called it a dumpster fire. Uh, we had some issues happening in, in leadership that had to be addressed by the body of elders at that time. And we had a lot of people leave our fellowship. And it was because of there was some dissension, there was some disagreement with the way, the way some people looked at the situation on this side, some people looked on that side, and some people didn't see the clear path that God had for this church. And, and so there's not as many of us here as there was. And in this brotherly love of Christ that we live in and walk in, I want to make a couple of things abundantly clear. And we're in the process of bringing man to, to fill this position on a weekly basis and, and to manage, administrate our staff, administer our staff. But the man who stands here, whether it be me or Terry or this man we're going to listen to in a couple of weeks, whoever stands here did not die on a cross for your sins. When we come together as a family, brothers and sisters, we're to love each other because Jesus died for each one of us. I didn't die for anybody in here. I didn't suffer on the cross. I didn't take the blame for all the mess that I've done. But Jesus did. And so if we remember when we come together as brothers and sisters, that we're all different. Some are older, some are younger, some are working, some are not. And we, we come from different aspects of life. We live in different parts of town. Some of us don't even live in town. Some of us drive to Abilene to worship here. And that's awesome. But we can't let the differences that the world wants to show us be the determining factor 
and why and where we worship. Because the praise team did not die on the cross for anybody in here. We've got to remember who this is about. And this whole book is pointing to and talking about and explaining the life and love and faith that Jesus Christ has in saving us. Y'all with me on that? Are we clear on that? Because if we can't be clear on that, we can't be clear on anything else. We're here not because of Bill Sweeney. We're not here because of Terry O'Brien or Ryan Green. We're here because Jesus wants us to get together as a family and spend some time in worship and in praise to him who gave it all for each one of us. So let brotherly love continue. And do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And basically that means be kind. How hard is it to be kind to somebody? Sometimes if you're not good at being kind, just maybe shutting up is an act of kindness. <laughs> I've been told I've got the spiritual gift, I don't know which side of the spirit it comes from, of sarcasm. And so sometimes it's a gift of kindness to those around me if I just... And sometimes it comes out funny, sometimes it could come out hurtful. But showing hospitality, is, is, it does include opening up your home to others. It does, but it also includes just random acts of kindness. Because we never know how far, just some little above and beyond thing that we can do to somebody, how that ripple effect just touches other people. Holding the door for some mom with a baby carrier in one hand and a sack full of groceries in the other. They appreciate that, don't they, Leanne? Some of y'all, you know, we got a whole bunch of new ones here, so you guys know I'm talking to all y'all. I just saw her smiling at me. But just simple acts of kindness, and not just to strangers. This is talking about strangers, but how about kindness in your house? What a concept is that? Just you know, because they're family doesn't mean you can't be kind to them. You know, you can be mean to your family because they got to take you back. That's the rule, right? But what if we were just kind all the time? Now, I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. And, and it shouldn't be a motivation that you could accidentally entertain angels. Uh, but you could. I mean, it's possible. It's happened. Then he says in verse 3, Remember those who are in prisons as though in prison with them. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, as though. Put yourself in the other people's shoes. How would I want people to treat me if I was imprisoned, if I was hungry, if I was lonely, if I was tired, if I was angry, I mean, if I'd been sick? This verse is not necessarily talking about prisons, the Gray Bar Hotel, so to speak, but it's talking about putting yourself in other people's position, other people's shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Because it's easy to sit in the cheap seats and, and judge somebody else. It's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback since football season started up. But it's hard to stop for a minute because we get so busy with the things that the world is putting into our head and, and take just a moment to think, why are they behaving that way? Why are they acting that way? What, you know, you know, and say a little prayer, God help me to understand so that maybe I can 
do a kindness for them or so that I can help them walk through a situation. Because I don't know if y'all noticed, but we are all going through something nearly all the time. The enemy does not want us in here practicing this brotherly love. The enemy wants us out there just doing whatever the world wants us to do. And we are called to be separate from the world. Y'all with me on that? We're not supposed to be the same as all them. We are not supposed to be the same. If we're not different when we walk out of here than than the people we're going to eat with at the restaurant, then we're not doing something right. We're not surrendering something we need to surrender. Remember those who are in prison as though prison... As, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Anybody see anybody being mistreated? It happens a lot. And like I said last week, one of the worst things we can do to mistreat somebody is to ignore them. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. The next little part here, let marriage be held in honor among all. Marriage is so not being held in honor in, in, in at least our country. I'm sure it's probably the same around the world. It's, you hear terms like starter wife, starter husband, my next ex. And, and that's just sad because Because marriage was instituted by God. He started out, Adam and Eve. It's supposed to be two. It's not supposed to be these two now and then these two later and these two on down the line. It's not supposed to be that way. And the world says, no, it's okay. You know, just, it's a natural body function. It's a natural bodily function. We should just just do what we want to do. You know, it's, it's like eating an extra dessert. It's not. The extra dessert's not necessarily good for you either. But the marriage and the marriage bed is something God has ordained. And it's where two people make a covenant with each other. And a covenant is a deal. A covenant is a binding contract. And it's not just between two people. It's a promise also to God. And we're not teaching people that. We're not teaching our young people that. And that's our fault. That's the church's fault. We're not, taking peop- we're not taking our young people up and saying, there's going to come a time when you turn 13 or 14 and you're going to lose your mind. That's what I told my grandsons. When I said, in about two or three years, you're going to lose your mind. And when that happens, and I, t- I described the things that were going to occur in his mind, because guys, we know what happens in, in a teenage boy's mind when he loses it. Am I right? We lose our minds. And so, but being, if somebody had warned me, maybe I wouldn't have fallen into some traps that I fell into. And so I forewarned them, and I pray for them. And maybe when the time comes and their mind starts to go, that they'll remember the lesson from their grandfather. I'm ever hopeful. Let the marriage be held in honor among all people. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge. God judges that stuff, y'all. Then verse 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my help. Rewinding. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Keep your life free from, not money, the love of money. 
I'm trying to decide to throw y'all under the bus or not. How many, when they saw the lottery go up to like 250 million or whatever it was last time when it got really high on the science, how many thought, boy, it'd be great to win that money? Come on, be honest. I didn't say buy a ticket. I said, boy, it'd be great to have that money because of all the good we can do, right? We were going to give away a bunch of money. We were going to help some folks. Am I right? If, if somebody says, hey, here, here's your check for $250 million. Go help some folks. Now, on the surface, it looks like that would be a good thing for us to have because we are so spiritual. <laughs> I'm going to help these folks, but first I'm going to buy this big ranch with the big house and the big gate and the tall fence, and I'm going to stock it with the exotic animals, and I'm going to have me some nice four-wheelers, the two- or three-row kind. And, you know, and, and we start out thinking of all the help we can do, but first we've got to take care of ourselves. That's how the love of money tricks us. Now, there, I can remember times in my life where, man, if I can just get this, this a good bump, a good raise here at year end when raise time comes, then I'll be able to do this, and I'll be able to do that, and we'll have money to put in savings. Anybody ever get, look for that raise where we could buy this and get that and put money into savings? Is that, is that just me? Am I the only one? That's pretty normal. And how many got the raise? I got it. How many had any money left over? Not me. Somehow or another, the bills increase along with the money. How does that work? How does it know? How do the people that, uh, that we owe money to, like the electric company and the water company and, and whoever else, how do they know we got an extra $100 a month? Because boom, there it goes. And oh, if I just could get another raise, if I could just get a little bit more, if I could just, and, and what happens is we start focusing on that thing. And that's where our attention is. And where our attention is, we make that a priority. And when that becomes a priority, guess what? Something has to take a lower priority because getting that money and getting that income is the, is the big deal. And we've got to focus on that because we've got kids coming. We've got kids growing up. We've got kids going to school. We've got kids in track. We've got kids in football. We've got uh, kids in gymnastics. We have kids doing all kinds of stuff. And we need, and they all have their hands out. Come on, give me some more, give me some more, give me some more, give me some more, give me some more. And we don't. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And, and frankly, I'm, I don't know how we sleep with all this stuff going on. And so we think the money's the thing, and we lose sight of that it's not about money, and it's not about the track, and it's not about the football, and it's not about the trips, and it's not about the school, and it's not about the kids, and it's not about us. It's about Jesus. If we lose focus on what this whole life is about, if we don't remember that Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one that wants to, to be so much a part of our life that, that everybody is attracted to, to what's different about us, this same Jesus has promised he'd take care of us. He would take care of what we need. He'll take care of us mentally, physically, and emotionally. We have so many people in this country, in this world, who are just out of their mind because something's not going the way they wanted it to go. And we get upset, we get mad. This person won an election, this person didn't. There's factions. Four years, there's going to be another one. In a hundred years, 
it'll be in the history books. We can't get upset over what the world does because the world does what it's always done. It tries to detract us from being members of the kingdom, for being family members, living in brotherly love, for people that are doing the right thing because the right thing is the right thing to do, the thing that glorifies God. That's, that's the measure. And I've said it before. How do I know if this is right or this is wrong, if this is selfish or unselfish? Who does it glorify? Who gets the pat on the back? Me? Or is God glorified? That's an acid test for me. And if I need to know what the right thing is, for me, the right thing is the hard thing to do. Because I'm selfish. And because I'm selfish, I recognize that. And because I recognize that, I can ask myself, who's getting glorified in whatever I'm doing or whatever I'm participating in? And if it's not God, then I need to rethink that thing. And I've got to first have a willingness to rethink that thing. Y'all with me on that? I've got to be willing to turn my will and my life over to God. Because the preacher didn't stand up here and die for me on the cross, but Jesus did. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because we get caught up in this fear of if, if I don't do this, then that. If we don't go here, then, then that happens. And what if we just surrendered it all to God and say, God, I trust you. Fear is something that you're not trusting God with. If you have fear in your life, look, pull it out, examine it. Spin it around, look at it from all sides, and say, what part of this thing that I'm afraid of am I not trusting to God? If you look at it honestly, you'll find it. Sometimes it's something simple like, somebody will think this about me. Now, I'll tell you this right now. What other people think about you is none of your business. I want to say it again. What other people think about you it's none of your business. What Jesus thinks about you is totally your business. And so if we live our life to the glory of God, what can man say to us? We may look throw it off. We may look weird. We may look goofy. So what? I've never been a prize. I'm good at looking throw it off and goofy and, and weird. We covered that pretty good. Move on. Verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and Im imitate their faith. He's talking about the leaders of old, the, the, the forefathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and King David, and, and, and the prophets, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and all those guys. And, and how they led and how they, you know, suffered for, for the message of God. And they suffered and, and, and lived on faith in the promise of, of what's happened with the with coming of Jesus and even beyond to the coming of heaven. And he's saying, remember the leaders and, and how they lived and how they had faith. And he's talking about the leaders in the church today. And if you have a leader in the church today that's preaching from this word here, teaching from this word here, 
and it's true, not spinning it to, to go with the world's way of thinking, because the world's way of thinking is, I'm trying to clean this up, you know. <laughs> the world's way of thinking is not our way of thinking. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the next verse. So no matter what happened yesterday, Jesus was there and he was the same. No matter what's happening in our lives today, who's still the same? Who's still the same? Who's going to be the same tomorrow? So no matter what happens in our lives, Jesus is the constant thing. Uh, Leaders come and go. Uh, Kids get born, they grow up, leave home. You know, once upon a time we were young and married and full of, I don't know what all, but, you know, with all these great plans and great plans for our children. And and then we grow up, guess what? We find out they have their own mind and do their own things. But guess what? Jesus is still the same today as he was the day our children were born. He's still the same when they got married. He's still the same now that they've given us grandchildren. And it's the same for y'all. It's the same Jesus. And he never, ever changes. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Uh, In the Jewish times, when the Jews, well, I'm sure they still are today, they have that uh, kosher thing. And there was all kinds of dietary restrictions. Like, they couldn't get a BLT because of the B part, the bacon. Because of the dietary restrictions, which the Jewish people did, they, their covenant with God was based on checking the box. You know, I do not kill, don't steal, don't covet, you know, and, and worship in Jerusalem and, and kill, a, kill a calf, you know, every so often and do these things. And... And the Jews were raised up in a, in a belief that the things they did made them right with God. And we still have a little bit of that mindset in the church today. If I show up on Sunday morning, and if I bring my Bible, and if I pay attention and don't fall asleep during the message, and if I you know, sing and clap appropriately when the praise band's you know, praising, and you know, we have all these things that we do, or if we go to the, to the Bible class you know, we think, okay, we've done this, we've done this. Or if we've been baptized or if we've taken the Lord's Supper, we think, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. I'm, I'm good with God. But those are just things. Those do nothing to glorify God. Those are things that we should be doing out of our just awesome appreciation for what God has done, that he would, that he would send his son to die for, for me. Just thinking about that. Why wouldn't I want to do some things that glorify him after all he's done for me? It's not about checking the box. It's not about being here. It's not about writing you know, a, a check to the church. It's about coming here and listening to the words of these songs that we're singing And make them a part of my praise coming from the inside going out. It's a part of, you know, 
It's not charismatic to raise your hands in church. That's surrender. When the cops come up to you and say, put them up, you're surrendering. There's nothing left in my hands. I'm not saying everybody needs to hold their hands up and worship, but sometimes we might need to do that, or sometimes we not need to fall on our knees. 7.30 on Sunday mornings, the band practices. And I come here because Kim's on, on that thing, and, and they were playing like one of my favorite songs, Better is One Day in Your Courts. Better is one day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. And when you feel and believe those words, that's what God's looking for. Worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And he doesn't care if you wrote the check to the church. He doesn't care if you went to Bible class. He doesn't care if you, you know, that you worked at the pantry. What he cares is that you worship him in spirit and truth, that you surrender your entire life to him so that he can be glorified here in this world so that he can draw other people to him. Do not be led, led away by diverse and strange teachings. There are some strange teachings out there, y'all. This world, and it's the same 2,000 years ago when this was written. Nothing, nothing's different now than in than Bible times. There are some strange, strange teachings out there. And I'm very, very sad to say that some of it's coming from churches. Some of it's on big mega church TV preachers are preaching lies. They're buying into the world's way of thinking so they can keep crowds coming in. They're deviating from the word of God. Now, we may be judged by the world for the word of God, for standing by it, proclaiming it, living it. And guess what? That's okay, because what the world thinks about me is none of my business. But what God thinks about me is. We've got it so easy in this country. Nobody's rounding us up and putting us in prison for our beliefs yet. We've got to push back when they're pushing on us. We've got to stand up for what is right well, how do you know what's right, Bill? It's a hard thing to do. The right thing is always the hard thing to do. The right thing is easy to recognize. When they have these diverse and weird teachings coming in, they always come. I'm using the word always in its real sense, like it always happens. When they start bringing false teaching, they always explain why it's right. It's right because of this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And they make a circular argument, which goes back to prove the original statement, which proves absolutely nothing. But they say it loud enough and long enough where the world begins to believe or the church begins to believe. And it dances all around what the truth of Scripture tells us. Let's go back to the, to the beginning. Keep the, honor the marriage. They're not honoring the marriage now, but they're, the world's saying, well, it's okay. Don't get caught up in the love of money. The world says the more you get, the better it is. We got to quit listening to the world and start getting into this word here. This, somebody told me once, B-I-B-L-E, you know what that stands for? Basic instructions before leaving earth. And it's really, really true.
We have an altar. This is verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Okay, three things are right there. This was hard to figure out, y'all, so appreciate this. Three things in the, in the old Jewish way of sacrifice and everything. They had a, a sin sacrifice, a sacrifice of atonement. And when they killed the animal, it had to be taken outside the gate and burned. It was separate. Some of the food that they sacrificed, they were allowed to eat. But the sin sacrifice had to be away from the people, segregated, and burn up. Then the second thing is Jesus. He took all of our sins on him on the cross. It was outside the gates in Jerusalem, outside the gates on the hill. And so the sins stay separate from the people. The, the redeeming act on the cross is separate from the people. We as Christians today, this is the third thing, we leave the sin in the world and we stay outside the gate of the world to be an example like Jesus was. We're not buying in to the, to the new world order, or whatever they want to call it. We're not buying in to the, to the sin and to the lies. We're not buying in to the, if it feels good, do it. We're not buying in to grab all the gusto you can. We're not buying in to the lies of the world. We're not buying in to if you, if you buy this shampoo, your hair shines and floats in slow motion. We're not buying in to the great new teeth. We're not buying in to the lies of the world. If you, all you need is this. All you need is this. All you need is this. No, all we need is Jesus. Normal's not coming back. Jesus is. So verse 12, I already did verse 12. Verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of, somebody say it with me, sacrifice of what? Praise. Praise. Sacrifice of praise. We're giving it from our inmost self. We're, I just don't have the words. These are the words to say. I, I can't make it any plainer that when we praise, it cuts loose something inside of our spirit. The quickening that we received when we accepted Jesus into our lives, that thing needs to grow. That, that spirit within us needs to grow. And this is one of the ways it grows is when we cut loose and praise and we sing loud and, and it don't have to be pretty, but we got to sing loud and we got to sing the words like we mean them. That better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere and know from that spirit that's within us that yes, that's true. And then the truth brings such freedom. We talked about knowing what it's like for others to be in prison in the earlier verses. Too many of us are still imprisoned by what would other people think. I'm still imprisoned by an addiction. I'm still imprisoned by the anger I have towards somebody at work. I'm still imprisoned by the hatred I have for somebody who did me wrong whenever that was. What I've got to do is forget that stuff, 
forgive those people, surrender to God, and let him change me from the inside out. Where, yes, I'm not going to trust the person that did me wrong so much, but I'm going to forgive them. Because if Jesus, who died on the cross, can forgive me my sins, who in the world am I to not forgive somebody that's harmed me? Real or imagined? Sometimes we get mad because of something we misheard. How many were here last Sunday? And we talked about disciplining our children. Anybody remember that? And I asked, what are some of the ways that we discipline our children? And somebody said drowning. (laughs) Grounding. See how easy it is to mishear something? Please don't do that to little Kaylee. Grounding's okay. But we mishear things, and, and from standing up here, and I hear drowning. These young people want to drown their kids, y'all. Some of you older parents come sit with these people and give them some guidance. But see how easy it is to take something out of context or something misheard, and then you can, and then you can get all hurt feelings about it or get angry or get judgy. Let's show a little grace, and, and like I did from up here. Drowning? They said, grounding. Oh, it's good because that other is excessive. I remember that. I'm all for discipline, but, you know, let's, let's draw the line somewhere. But we do that, don't we? Don't we get mad when we think we heard something that somebody said? And then what do we do? We don't go talk to that person about it. So I think I heard you say this about, about me or whatever. No, we go tell our friend, and then she tells her friend, and he, she tells his friend, and, that, and then pretty soon you have, what, a division. Maybe over a, mis, a misheard word, drowning, grounding. That's just the example. This is why in Matthew it says, you know, if you have a problem with your brother, go to him. I don't like confrontation. Nobody likes confrontation. But we all like to be peaceable. We all like to have harmony. And we who are brothers and sisters in Christ should go to the people who we think have offended us. Or even better yet, if you have offended somebody or you heard that somebody thinks you've offended them, you go to them and say, hey, I heard that you think I said this. Let's talk about that. How hard is that to do? If we as Christians keep our side of the street as clean as possible, we, you know, I did this. If I harm somebody in this fellowship, I will, I will go to you as soon as I find out I did it, and I'll say, assuming I'm wrong, it's happened. I'm pretty sure I'll have to ask my wife. What I did was hurtful. What I did was wrong. And then... I don't say I'm sorry. I'm sorry means nothing. What I did was wrong. What can I do to make that right? I need to put some action with mine. If I did something to hurt you, what can I do to make that right? And I have to go to that with the willingness to make it right. You know what happens when we do that? We come closer together. We get stronger. Our faith is stronger. The world sees us as a united body, which all the church is supposed to be. And who gets the glory? God. Such a simple thing. But that thing, that gossip, that say, well, you know, he said this, and I tell you and you tell her, and 
That's, that's a trick of the enemy. It's a dirty, rotten trick of the enemy. And the trouble is, it works. He's the father of lies, and he's called that for a good reason. Uh, verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's going back to the kindness and the visiting and the hospitality. Don't forget to do something good. Do something nice for somebody. Verse 17, this is, this is hard for me. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. We're an elder-led church. Some of you people, and if you're the one, that's, that's who I mean, nominated me to be an elder in this church. Some of you people nominated Dave. Some of you people nominated Al. Terry was already one when we got here. Y'all picked us for something in our character that, that you saw would be beneficial for leadership in the church. Now, having said that, obey your leaders and submit to them. Do we make perfect decisions all the time? No. Sometimes we don't make perfect decisions because we don't have all the information. Why don't we have all the information? Because somebody's telling this somebody who's telling that somebody, well, I don't like what the elders did about this, or I think we need to do something about that, or I don't like the way this is run over here. And by the time we get it, we don't have any idea where it came from, so we have no clue of the truth or the veracity. I mean, you liked us when you nominated us. Why don't you come talk to us now? We still pull our pants on one leg at a time. This is, this is a true story that I'm not going to tell. <laughs> Let's talk to each other, y'all. We're all in this together. And we all, we all want to do this to glorify God. And trust me, none of, a, none of the elders are getting paid for this. So verse 18, pray for us, please. The please there is mine. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. We do. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. And this is the writer. And so then we're going to finish with the next verse, and it's a benediction. And a benediction is a really cool way to send people forth when you're done. We're not done yet, but I wish I could say this at the end, but the order's not that way. But it says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Man. Come on, praise team. I'm done. Uh, Y'all, we're in for some exciting times. We've got a, a new guy that's going to... Uh, come here to, to try out, so to speak, to see if we like him. And I want I really beg all y'all to be in prayer for that, be in prayer for him and his family. Uh, the team, the search team, has given up a lot of time away from their families over this past year or so. People have 
hit each one of us up for inside info, you know, because everybody wants to know things. And it's all coming together, and it's coming together because during each meeting, we started with prayer, we ended with prayer, and we didn't ask for anything particular. We just asked God to show us the man that he had prepared for this place. Because God already had the guy picked out. We can't pick it out. We just need him to show us the guy. Okay? And that's, and then when he comes here, that's for y'all to confirm, yes, this is the guy that we said that, that we wanted, that we said that we needed, that we, we're just going to, you know, see what happens. So I'd like for all y'all to bow your heads just for a moment. Close your eyes. And I want you to think as the praise team begins is what am I holding back in my life from God? What, what anger or resentment am I still carrying that I need to let go of so that I can walk free and be the kind of person that God has called me to be? What can I do to help somebody in need? What can I do to show hospitality? What can I pray for? Who, God, who do you want me to help? God, who do you have that can help me? And if that person's here, y'all get, y'all get together during this first song. We're going to have a couple of people in the front. If you want one of us to pray with you, we'll be happy to. There's no obligation. If you want somebody to pray with you in your seat, you know, sneak around, find somebody, and ask them to pray with you. So with that, praise team.